Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the New York Knicks select RJ Barrett. Welcome, everyone, to the one and the only greatest spinoff pod in the history of Nick's podcasts, Draft Strickland. I'm your host, Prez, a.k.a. at underscore Presidente with a Z on Twitter, a.k.a. Rokas Yokobitis number one fan club bandwagon leader extraordinaire. And we have a very special pod today. With a very special guest, um, I know he's been on Pod Strickland, but I don't know if he's been on Draft Strickland before. So, honestly, this is a pretty crowning level achievement, right up there with you know Olympic medals, Nobel Peace Prizes, and such. So, please help me give a warm welcome to the one and only Alex, aka Draft Film School on Twitter, who you may have seen write for the Strickland. You may have seen right for No Ceilings. If you haven't subscribed to No Ceilings newsletter, it is a very easy way to get awesome draft stuff directly into your email. If you're lazy like me, that is particularly helpful. Um, you might see his writing elsewhere in places that I don't even know about. Alex, how's it going? What's up, Prez? Thanks for uh, having me on. I appreciate the introduction. Yeah, I think I think you pretty much nailed everything uh, <laughs> on, on draft Twitter. So uh, kudos to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I it, it's easy for me. I did not want to wait until the end to shout out no ceilings because the stuff that the whole crew is doing um, with the newsletter and the website and the Twitter accounts and the branding and even the artwork is all super awesome and super well coordinated and. I've been kind of waiting to see if any new places I could go on the internet for draft content would kind of break through this season. And No Ceilings is definitely it for me. Um, other sites like the Stepian have, you know, had a lot of their writers poached, um, yep. both to NBA teams and to consulting groups like SIS Sports and Synergy and stuff like that. Um Obviously, a lot of the ESPN good stuff is behind a paywall now. So, you know, me being a broke boy, I can't always access that unless the plugs hit me up. So it, it was a blessing to see uh, the No Ceilings content come together super uh, with lots of stuff I can read pretty much every day. So uh, y'all go follow No Ceilings and the various writers, including Alex on social media. All right. There's my sales pitch for No Ceilings. Love what it. are we talking about today, people? We have finally finished the uh, retrospective look at the prior draft classes. Um, for those who are new to the pod, we looked at the 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017 drafts 
with a bunch of different folks who have done really good writing on uh, draft prospects to see, you know, what we got wrong back in the day, what's different now, what we could, you know, what we would evaluate differently if we knew what we knew now back in 2017. And, you know, the back in the day when the wars of Macau versus Miles and Frank versus Dennis and Monk were raging across the internet, but we're done with all that. It's time this year to be looking forward finally toward this upcoming draft. We got the kids playing ball overseas in the G League in college now. So, you know, amateur hoops is in full swing. Uh, pro sports across the world or pro hoops across the world is in full swing. The Knicks may or may not be a lottery team, which means we have more, arguably more incentive to pay attention to what the hell is even happening in this class because we might not make the playoffs. And I'm not going to dwell on that today. I'm going to dwell on uh, the shape of this class, if you will. So this class, I feel like, is very different from other classes for a whole bunch of reasons. I don't like saying better or worse. I like I prefer saying it's just different and then trying to delve into why that is, because for smart front offices like the Knicks, pretty much any class is going to have opportunities. You know, we saw it last year with the Knicks pulling extra picks out of their butt. And we saw it the year before with quickly. And we saw it the year before that with Mitch. So there's always opportunity. And, you know, I haven't had the earliest start in looking at this upcoming class compared to folks like you. So I was hoping you would give me a guided tour of sorts and just bounce around and talk about what you like for this class, who you like, what the top five looks like. Is it whack? Is it deep? Is it full of teenagers? Is it full of old dudes? You know, and I guess the best place to start um, is the top of the draft, right? That's what the headlines are all about. So I'm sure a lot of folks have heard of Paolo Banquero and Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith Jr., maybe, and some other folks. But how, how would you say this, the top of this class kind of stacks up to, you know, the last couple of years? Yeah, I think in terms of kind of consensus, I, I feel like everyone, not everyone, but I think there's a consensus top four, kind of similar to what you saw last year with Cade. Uh, Green, Mobley, and Suggs. Um, I know, I know, Scotty Barnes went fourth, but he was kind of a divisive prospect, uh, at least like online. Uh, so I, I think you know the four guys at the top in this year's draft. You know, Paulo Chet, Jabari, you mentioned those three, uh, and then Jaden Ivey. I think has played himself into that you know top four consideration as well. That's how I have them, uh, kind of in their own tier, and I, I think they're kind of on par with. Maybe not last year because I, I like Caden Mobley a lot more than these guys at the top, but maybe 2020, um, you know, with Ant and Lamelo, uh, I, I think they're kind of in similar tiers if you're looking across draft classes. Um, I, I think that talent level at the top is there. And then after that, it's kind of up for grabs. I don't really know how to rank guys. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, throwing darts at a board at that point. Um, you know, they're, there was a lot of kind of intrigue and interest in the freshman class coming in. Uh, you know, you had guys like Jaden Hardy, who's playing in Ignite right now. Uh, Jalen Duran at Memphis, who was uh, reclassified up. Um, Patrick Baldwin Jr., uh, Ty Ty Washington, Kendall Brown, Caleb Houston, Peyton Watson, J.D. Davidson. You go down the list, uh, Kenny Chandler. 
a lot of interesting names on the list. Um, and it's kind of been a mixed bag from the freshman class overall, which has kind of helped some, uh, you know, sophomores and upperclassmen really, I feel like, jump up on people's minds, like uh, Ben Matherin at Arizona, uh, uh, Keegan Murray at Iowa are just two that I think are really, you know, at least in lottery contention right now for returners. So it's kind of a mixed bag at the top. Uh, it should be interesting, but I think overall it's a pretty deep class, um, kind of similar to what we saw last year. I'm glad you brought up uh, last year and also the year before, because I think the greater NBA fan fandom is kind of getting used to, is still getting used to, what kind of top players don't put up a zillion points and you know what kind of how good does a teenager have to shoot to be a top pick these are all questions that i think are still fairly new and if you ask like the average person at a sports bar or something you might get a different answer each time right like with Lamelo and Ant, neither of them were really knockdown shooters ant had all the highlight dunks and the you know, explosive scoring games. Lamelo had the passing and he was a point guard and he had the ball in his hands. Um, so he, those guys, it was a little easier to visualize. But then you look at, you know, people who watched Cade play and sure, he would score a lot, but really, you know, he does a lot of the little things. He rebounds, he passes, he plays defense. And then Mobley, of course, is probably the biggest example. And the fact that he's he's changed the course, the trajectory of the Cavs as a franchise without even scoring that much, which is insane. So, um, you know, you, you look at the guys you named at the top. Boncaro is much more of a, oh, I, I see how he fits into the NBA. He's a 250-pound fast guy who shoots and can cross and can dunk and is kind of like Julius Randle. And then, but guys like Chet, you know, he's rail thin. You don't know... If is he he's obviously really good at defense, but is he a center because he's that skinny? If he's a power forward, is he quick enough? You know, is he going to score enough to be a top three pick? But I don't know about you. Looking at what Mobley has done, um, I I feel like if we didn't have Mobley, I would have been harsher on Chet because he's I don't I, I you know I don't like comparing them too much, but they're both really tall guys who could probably play two positions won't score a ton at least early on, but are still really hard to score on. And you're probably looking over your shoulder for them, even if they're not your man. So uh, guys like that, you know, might not have always been your, your quote unquote ESPN graphic top, top pick. Although I guess Chet has been, cause it's, he's been like on yeah, ESPN been, a zillion times. He's been around for a while. Yeah, and um, so you know, maybe maybe I stand corrected. Maybe maybe people will will show Chet some more love. And plus, Gonzaga is really good as usual, so that helps. Um, you mentioned the other two. I want to touch on real quick: Jabari and Jaden Ivy. Um, Jabari is a player who I've gone back and forth on already way more times than I'm comfortable with because you 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 see him play and he's huge. He's not jacked or anything, but he's like six nine, six ten. He can shoot. Um, you know, he's he's not some ground bound dude. He can put it on the deck a little bit, but I don't know. I one thing I'm still getting used to is how to evaluate tall guys who don't play like quote unquote tall guys, even though we've yeah. had 
you know, Chris Dobbs for years now and whatever, Pal Gasol and Dirk for even longer. Like, I'm, I'm like, sometimes when I watch him, I'm like, is this motherfucker a six foot ten shooting guard? Because he might be. Not one who like drives to dunk on you, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think I think you're right because you know he obviously the shooting has been you know outstanding so far, shooting 44 percent on good uh, volume. But you know there are some questions in the half court about him, you know, getting all the way to the rim from the perimeter, creating his own looks, things like that. But again, you mentioned he's six ten, two twenty, like he's built like a power forward. Do you really need your power forward to do all that? You know, Paulo Bencaro does all that, but, you know, he moves a little bit better offensively, I'd say. But, yeah, I, I like Jabari a lot. I think he's really versatile uh, defensively as well. He's He's been pretty good, uh, especially for a freshman. Uh, so, yeah, he's a really intriguing prospect. And I think I think clearly he's a top three, uh, you know, in this class. I think I have him maybe two over Chet just given some uh, physical concerns with Chet. But, you know, as you mentioned, he, Chet does a lot of the little things and he's he's very disruptive uh, on the defensive end, especially around the rim, not just blocking shots, but just altering everything uh, that really teams, once again, the pay to either pass out or have to throw up some crazy hook shot or floater just to get it over him. So uh, I think the, this top three to four players in this draft, I think, you know, is pretty strong. Um, and then I don't know if you want to, Chip to Jaden Ivy and kind of round it out. Yeah, yeah, I love Ivy. He's obviously he, to me, he's the most exciting player in the lottery, maybe in college, just because he runs like nine thousand miles an hour and dunks everything. And he now he's passing, which he wasn't doing last year, and he's yeah. uh, shooting well. And and he so he played. I like I knew of him last year, but it wasn't until I was watching some of the FIBA games where he was playing with Chet this summer. And I was watching him shoot, and I, I I knew of him, and I knew that he could, that he took shot, took threes last year, but I knew he didn't make them. And his shot looked decent in the FIBA games, and I was like, is this guy really a bad shooter? He doesn't really seem like a bad shooter. And then lo and behold, now he's shooting like 40% from three. I'm, take, I'm taking a lot of threes, so I mean... You know, there's some questions of like, is he a one? Is he a two? Is he a ball handler or is he more of a connector? But honestly, I don't know that I care. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but yeah, I I don't care. I don't care. I don't care either. I mean, he's just a fascinating guard, uh, super quick, as you said, shooting the ball now. I think I think he shot like 29 percent last year, but that seemed to be a blip. Um, I'm pretty sure he had really good high school and AAU numbers. Uh, you know, he had a good summer in FIBA. So I, I'm, I buy the shot. Uh, and then you add that with his athleticism and quickness, you know, attacking closeouts. He's got the total package from a scoring standpoint, both half court and transition. And then, yeah, you mentioned the playmaking has definitely taken a leap this year, I think, to really round out his entire game. So I think he has a chance to be kind of a, a primary point guard option at the next level, but even if he doesn't kind of reach that peak, uh, he, he definitely will be, you know, a great combo guard, especially this class is, is pretty, I'd say it's a pretty down year for, for the guard class overall. Um, you know, there's no top, top guys, you know, if you include Jaden Ivey in that realm, then it's decent. But after that, there's really not a ton of really primary guard or point guard, um, 
options out there at the top. So that's why I think Jaden Ivey is kind of a, a big difference maker for, for this class kind of moving forward. Yeah, we'll get into the the lack of guards in this class in a second. I'm happy you brought that up. One other thing that I was thinking about the other day regarding Ivy, there's not that, like around the league, there's so many good point guards, right? Like every team, this is a Knicks draft podcast. Obviously, we know how many fucking great point guards there are because we never have any <laughs> until Derek Rose. But at the two... You know, I know positions don't matter, whatever, whatever. But at the two, it's really not that many. Like, just, like, rattling off, there's, like, in no particular order, Levine, Mitchell, Booker, Harden, Paul George, although he's not really a two anymore. You know, Jalen Brown, not really a two anymore. Fred Van Fleet, kind of a two, but, eh. CJ McCollum, Bradley Beal. And then after that, there's kind of a huge drop-off. Then you have, like, Seth Curry and Desmond Payne and Terry Rozier and Alec Burks and, you know... Mikhail Bridges. So I I I've already seen some people kind of nitpick Ivy a little bit, but you can't there's that list. There's not many shooting guards who are reliable shooters and extreme athletes who don't suck at defense. Right there, that alone just to me he's such a like he's higher floor even than Jabari just for that, which I I don't I don't know who I have ranked where but I just don't see how this guy even comes close to failing. No, me neither. I mean, at worst, he's going to be, um, I think, a, a low-level starting caliber guard. Um, you know, even if you want to throw, like, six-man. Uh, right. Like, and, and if you're getting that, you know, at four, I, I think that's totally fine. Like, you, you've seen a total, you know, every team, every draft, you go back, and there's definitely a miss inside the top four or five picks, so... Uh, I think getting that kind of high floor is definitely something of value. If I was a GM, that would make me think, I would think long and hard about taking uh, taking Chet and Jabari over him, even though those two guys are super awesome, just because GMs are conservative by nature and tend to value saving their butt. So, um, yeah, well, real quick, before we move on from that top four, I did want to ask you one other thing about Jabari that I kind of struggle figuring out. Back to the whole thing about tall guys playing like not tall guys. When Michael Porter Jr. was a prospect, I didn't really like him, but it wasn't because of the injury stuff or the MAGA stuff. It was more, you know, I knew he was an incredible high school player, but all he would get is these wing comparisons like T-Mac and Kobe, but taller and da 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 And then I would watch him play and I'd be like, he scores a zillion points and gets a bunch of rebounds, but he really can't dribble the ball that well. And the only time he drives is versus like six foot, you know, teenagers or whatever in, in high school who are coming back from like social studies class or whatever. So, I mean, he was dominant, but what I underestimated with him is how useful it is to be someone who's six foot 10 and can shoot extremely well. Even if you can't shoot, I mean, even if you can't play defense or even if you can't pass, and not saying Jabari's a Michael Porter Jr. level shooter because Porter Jr. is pretty much as good as it gets, but like if Porter Jr. is a max player and he doesn't pass or play D and is a historically elite shooter who doesn't really put it on the floor, then slightly worse shooting, slightly less bouncy, probably better defending Porter Jr., that's... On the one hand, that sounds like a pretty good player to me. Yeah, 
No, definitely. But yeah. on the other other hand, that also sounds like dudes like Patrick Baldwin Jr., another player who's probably going to be in the lottery. So I'm like, ah, why do I value them so differently? You know, uh, I... I'm struggling with these and even Poku like, yeah, it's about time Poku stops being in theory and maybe now starts putting the ball in the hoop. So like, I'm just really struggling evaluating these tall dudes. Yeah, I think they're definitely because, you know, they're a newer kind of breed of, of player and archetype. Um, you know, you don't really see many 6'10 guys on the perimeter, you know, pulling up from three, attacking closeouts, things like that. So it's just a newer brand of basketball to get used to. And I think you know, Jabari Smith and you brought up uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. are kind of the two leaders in this class from that standpoint. Um, and and, and what's his face? Jovic. Jo- yeah, Jovic? Jovic? I think it's Jovic. I don't know. Um, I watch all my games on mute, so I don't know anyone. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think I think Jabari Smith, you know, he has shown kind of moments in the half court getting to the rim and finishing, but they're kind of few and far between. He definitely settles a little bit for the jumper. Um, and I think it all comes back to the handle. The handle isn't the best. So, you know, with improvements there, you hope he can kind of get his own shot at the rim more often. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really how he's going to be utilized at the NBA level. Like, is he going to play a Michael Porter Jr. role where he's not asked to really create because you're playing with other creators um, like Jokic uh, and, you know, Jamal Murray when he was healthy. So I, I think – Offensive role is kind of going to be team dependent, um, but I don't think you know throwing him right away, high usage role, his first year in the NBA is, is probably the best development. Um, but I think he he'll be fine. Like he he's shown the ability to pull up in transition from three, catch and shoot numbers are good. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down his full kind of creation uh, ceiling is going to come down to the handle um, and then maybe getting a little bit stronger so we can kind of go through more guys, smaller guys on the wing that will be defending him. So, you know, when we talk about team dependent, some of that is the more obvious things like, okay, is he going to be, you know, is is it going to be like Obi stuck behind Randall? Is it going to be a coach who plays slow versus for a player who plays fast or, you know, stuff like that? Are they going to play with a big initiator versus a point guard initiator? But another kind of thing that I'm thinking about is just like with new breeds, like you put it, of players, whether it's these tall shooting guard type dudes or um, connectors like Halliburton or even another type of player that I'm just going to call giant connectors, which is kind of like Obi Toppin and another guy I'll bring up in a bit, Kendall Brown from this class. There's just a lot of new types of basketball players, and I feel like the there's a lot of pressure on coaches to be appropriately creative with these guys, and I feel like being a Knicks fan sometimes colors my view of that because it's, you know, it's not like Tibbs is uncreative, but he's not, you wouldn't point to him and be like, ah, oh, what innovative usage of his young players right like even obi he plays mostly you know pretty traditional energy big who sometimes shoots off the bench right he's not like they're not like running offense through him once in a blue moon as a changeup or anything like that so um i that's another thing that i just kind of scares me when i'm evaluating prospects i'm like so many of these new type of dudes like 
you hope they go with a coach who thinks outside the box. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, another thing you brought up, uh, is the lack of guard depth in this class. Knicks fans are always curious about what guards are available in the draft because our guards usually stink. But I am eager to see if that's going to change this year because we are, you know, we got a few of them now in our roster and in our toolbox, right? Even you have Quentin, you have Deuce, you got Quickly, you got Rokas overseas. So that's four right there. So um, talk a little bit about, you know, okay, if there's not that many guards in this class or lead ball handler, what kind of players are there instead? Yeah, I think this class is pretty deep at the wing position. Um, I don't think any of them are really top, top tier guys. Uh, but you got, you mentioned Kendall Brown um, earlier. He's kind of like a hybrid wing forward, really does every little thing. Um, you know, he's a really good cutter, really good lob catcher, freak athlete, uh, plays in transition, can play make a little bit, um, you know, attack closeouts, things like that. He's had a really good start to the year. He's a guy that that will probably be going in the lottery. Uh, ben Matherin out of Arizona, you know, sophomore wing, six six. Uh, you know, did a lot of catch and shoot stuff last year. Didn't really show a lot of creation. Uh, decided to come back and has shown a little bit more in that area. So he's kind of climbed up boards. Um, Caleb Houston, freshman wing at Michigan, uh, played for you know Team Canada on the U19s this summer. And shown a lot of creation value, six eight uh, shooting uh, wing, solid defender. Um, you look down, Peyton Watson. Not, he he was a high level recruit, plays for UCLA, doesn't get a ton of minutes. Um, he's kind of struggled so far this year. He was kind of seen as a lottery pick coming in, but probably has slid down a little bit. Um, you mentioned Nikola Jovic. Uh, you know, is he a wing? Is he a forward? He's a little slow footed for probably a full time wing. Um, at the next level, but again, another versatile, you know, six ten shooting wing. Um, you know, going down the list, uh, AJ Griffin at Duke, another high level recruit that has kind of underperformed, just given minutes and coming back from an injury. But he's still intriguing, has all the you know physical tools and athleticism that you want in the wing position. Um, yeah, and then going down, Max Christie, another you know shooting wing. There's just a lot of these kind of six six to six eight shooters in the class uh who are also not disasters defensively that are just really intriguing from like the eight to twenty five range in this draft. Do you think since the Knicks likely won't have like a top eight pick and have so many guards and then have Obi and Julius, should I be preparing myself to figure out which of these wings might be my favorites i mean it seems like i mean i mean you know talent is talent and you want to get the most talented guy you have but that seems like the one hole in our long-term kind of player pool right is we have obi who's like a four or five and we have rj who's your traditional wing but everyone else is guards yeah so i mean that's definitely what it sounds like. I'm going to be looking at those guys. And as much as I love paying attention to the guards, I'm going to try to relax and not be trapped by them. Like I am every year uh, when I'm looking at who has the best crossovers. Cause it's always guards. Um, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. mentioned, 
I, yeah, I think wing is definitely an area, you know, every team can use more wings, uh, but the Knicks specifically, and I think this is, this is a good class to kind of snag one um, in that mid, mid to late first round. Here's another question about the wings. One thing I've been thinking about this year, just watching the Knicks, is the importance of having guys who have a good feel for the game on both ends. Um, and you can have guys who are talented and good without good feel. And you can have guys who are less talented with good feel who don't end up being that productive. But there's like a sweet spot that I don't think I appreciated before. And you see it with the Knicks this year where they have lots of guys who are very talented, but are struggling to adapt to playing together and struggling to be sharp executing defense or cutting at the right time or playing off of Julius and, you know, guys like Evan Fournier and RJ and pretty much most of the team has struggled trying to figure out where they fit in. So, you know, I don't want to say I'm going to overcorrect and value it a ton, but are there any of these wing guys who jump out to you as not only just being good prospects, but seem like they read the game well or quickly rather? Yeah, I think, I think Kendall Brown is one. Um, He's a guy who doesn't really need the ball in order to score. He, you know, I mentioned his cutting and lob catching before. Uh, So he's kind of interesting. Uh, Caleb Houston, I would say, is another one. He's kind of flashed some good passing and secondary playmaking at Michigan. He's, you know, struggled with his shot early on, but he's kind of rebounded. He's another. He's a one great that, shooter, though. Yeah, I know. I have, yeah, I have no really concerns about his shot. I, I think he's word. Good. Um, and then maybe like I'm like a Dyson Daniels. He like six five more plays. I mean, he plays like point guard for Ignite, and he played like point guard for australia in, in the u19s over the summer but you know he's got good size he's got wing size uh he's a guy that you know just makes kind of the right play um every time he's not really too flashy or anything like that but he's kind of in that wing guard combo uh just given his size and um his real concern is kind of the handle isn't that great so i don't really know why he's really being asked to play point guard for you know, <laughs> for, for I mean, yeah, I get, but free Jarrett Jack. What's he doing? Why did they get that, rid of him? That ignite, that ignite team is definitely missing Jarrett Jack. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of the guys that that I look at in terms of kind of feel for the game uh, at the wing position and kind of maybe have some secondary, you know, playmaking ability or you know just know kind of where to be on the court. I. I was struggling with Dyson. I was watching the Ignite team. And for people who haven't watched them, last year, the Ignite were a very, like, you could watch them and understand what they were doing. They had two top 10 picks in Jalen Green, the guard, and Jonathan Kuminga, the forward, and a couple of other lesser prospects that were uh, mostly taller guys, and then a handful of vets to help play point guard. And to play center, really, like Amir Johnson and Jared Jack. So you could kind of see how all of those dudes complemented the prospects who they were trying to develop. I know all those other guys are still trying to get to the NBA and all that, but it seems very clear that uh, how everything fits together. But this year, first of all, there's like way more prospects. Um, I think there's like six or seven or even eight. Yeah, there's a lot of younger guys. This year. Yeah, 
Um, one of them is Scoot, who's going to be there for two years. Scoot Henderson. Um, Jared Jack is gone. Uh, there's just not as many minutes for vets. They have Dyson Daniels, who's basically the same height and weight as like college RJ Barrett. And he's playing point guard, even though he's not really a point guard. Um, they have my son, Marjan Beauchamp, uh, who has one of the best factoids ever that he is the son of John Mark. And they just reversed the dad's name to create his name, which is awesome. And, you know, he's a more traditional, you know, three and D effort wing who could shoot it. But Dyson was just so puzzling. I'm like, is this guy a point guard? If not, like, can he shoot? I guess sort of he can shoot, but I don't know. But the more I think about it, I, I, I'm going to try to not get caught up in as long as someone isn't awful at a particular thing and they're trying to be one of those connectors, like as long as they're not horrible shooting or tire fire on defense you know i'm gonna just try to focus on do they make the right play and like you said dyson dyson does that and uh to a lesser extent marjan he doesn't really handle the ball much but um i i did some research on him last year because i before he he took a year off to do like training so i thought he was going to be the class ahead and he he would handle the ball a little bit in in high school and run a fair bit of pick and roll so he was kind of in that bucket for me too so um definitely going to keep an eye out on that on on the high field players um there was a time once upon a time not too long ago where i wouldn't have cared what big man prospects were in this class because uh our cup had runneth over with mitchell robinson's incredible athleticism nerland's noel a starter masquerading as a backup fucking kenny wooten all types of shit all types of bigs, OB, Julius, small ball centers. But now our center position is a tire fire. So I am forced to think more about uh, what kind of centers I like. Um, I feel like last year's center class was actually kind of good in the middle, like guys like Isaiah Jackson and stuff like that. Any thoughts on this year's center class? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of interesting guys. You know, you have Jalen Duran at the top. Uh, he's freshman at Memphis, super athletic, 6'11", crazy long wingspan, super athletic. Um, but, you know, I don't, I, I feel like he's getting a lot of top five buzz. Um, so I don't know if he'll be there where the Knicks are drafting, or hopefully he won't be on, you know, the, board <laughs> the Knicks are drafting top five. Um, but later on in the draft, you know, Mark Williams, uh, center out of Duke, he really, he was a freshman last year and didn't really play a lot early on was really inconsistent, but, you know, their last five or six games, he got, you know, was playing 25 plus minutes a game, uh, put up really good numbers. Uh, he's a tremendous, uh, you know, rim protector, um, you know, seven footer. Uh, he's pretty big. I think he weighs like 250 ish pounds. Um, so he's kind of a guy that's kind of just like you're playing vanilla rim running, um, shot blocking big. Uh, so he's, he's kind of interesting. And then you kind of go down the list. It's kind of, Slim, uh, there's uh, Yannick uh, Nwosa, I think. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's an international uh, 19-year-old. I haven't watched much of him, so I don't really have a lot of comments, but people seem to like him, um, you know, in the first round as well. So he might be a, a name to keep an eye on. Um, and then one other guy would be like Christian Coloco out of Arizona. Oh, yeah. um, 
he's he's a junior, so he's older. I think he's 22, but another you know seven one, very active defensively. Uh, really swallows everything you know at the basket. Um, you know, kind of raw on the offensive end, but again, if you're just asking a guy to rim run and dunk, um, you know, I think he'll be fine on that end to start, and you're not going to really ask a lot of him. Um, so those are kind of the names that I would kind of keep an eye on in, in the bigs class, at least. That's interesting. It feels like there's less. I feel like there's more every year. There's usually one or two bigs who, because you don't generally want to spend a lotto pick on a big or at least a top 10 pick on a big, unless they show something very special um, athletically or size wise or shooting wise um, that there's someone who kind of falls or maybe more than one. I'm not saying these are the guys last year, but you know, we saw um, Sangoon go 16th and uh, Kai Jones go 19th and Isaiah Jackson go 22nd and Usman go 23rd and I feel like all of those guys for all of those guys there's arguments that you know they were lottery level picks and you know for the most part they're all hooping whether it's in the G League or even in the NBA I mean I don't know why Uzman can't get minutes on the Rockets but I guess the Rockets are good now so what do I know like <laughs> shit they're I guess they're willing <laughs> um uh, Sengun's getting minutes for them and he's doing his thing and Isaiah Jackson hasn't been unleashed yet because there's like 9,000 bigs on the Pacers, but he's really, really destroying the G League. So it'll be interesting to see if the guys you mentioned have some, you know, if they're being slept on a little bit or if it's more like, no, they're just bigs who have limited skill sets and they're fine at what they do and they'll go 28th or something and that's that, like... Yeah. And the Knicks should maybe look elsewhere. I don't know. Like, say, to acquiring Miles Jackson by a uh, trade. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I think another guy that I think some people are warming up to as a prospect, uh, Oscar Shibwe out of Kentucky. Uh, oh, yeah. Transferred in from West Virginia. I wasn't the biggest fan coming in, but I, he's leading the the, uh, the country in rebounds at like over 15 a game. Um, he's huge, isn't he? Yeah, he's jacked. I mean, but yeah, I think he's only like six nine, uh, but Damn. he's like a solid two sixty. That's so, why he felt taller. Yeah, so he he's he's shown a little bit of like a mid range jumper. Um, you know, I think I need to see more before I fully buy in. But he's kind of a name that people have been kind of floating out there. I don't think he's like a first round pick or anything. But if you're just looking for a big to kind of defend and rebound and stuff, you know, he's worth kind of a second round pick. Why not? 71 from the line, uh, 43% on two-point jumpers. Maybe he's uh, this year's Kentucky special. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Kentucky usually hides their, their bigs from, from doing anything but dunking, so you never know. Yeah, yeah weird times. Um, he is older, though. He's like 20. I think he's like 23. Oh, damn. Yeah, well, he, he's... We already got our 23-year-old rookie center, so I think we're good in that respect. Um, cool. All right. Let me see here. So I guess another question that I have is we picked a lot last year. So the Knicks had several picks. So I'm pretty sure we can say with confidence they're not going to make three picks again. Um, they're probably they have their own pick this year and the Charlotte pick is not this year. Um, it's just, 
I think it's just our pick this year. Well, I think the Charlotte, I think the Charlotte pick is this year, but I think it's like there's some protection on it that it probably won't. Convey. Yeah, if they, uh, if they make the playoffs, I think, um, I think it's, I want to say top sixteen protected. So honestly, with the East, who knows how that shakes out? Um, kind of hope that we don't get that this year because we already got a lot of young guys and. We don't have to get into it right now, but the next draft is probably, uh, I say it's fair to say it's unequivocally a better draft just because of the top end talent alone. Um, so Charlotte, hopefully, uh, y'all hang on to that so we can either trade it or, uh, or use it next year. I don't know. We'll see. Um, all right. We've been going for like 40 minutes now, so I'll, I'll bring us home shortly. Um, We've talked about how there's a lot of wings and with ball handling guards and centers, not so much. Um, If you were the Knicks and say we were picking somewhere from 10 to 20, I know know things are going to change a whole lot um, between now and the draft, but can you throw a couple of names that you would... At least, I'm not even going to say pick. I'm going to say that would be on your short list of dudes to work out if you were the Knicks. Yeah, I would start probably Kendall Brown, Ben Matherin, Caleb Houston, um, you know, Dyson Daniels. Uh, I think those guys would be good fits. Keegan Murray, um, definitely wings. Just work out as many wings as you can. Um, you know, if you want to work out guards, um, you know, Jean Montero is interesting. Uh, Kennedy Chandler is, is really good. JD Davison is kind of an exciting young guard. Um, so those are kind of, those are kind of some names that I think are worth at least taking a look at. And then, I mean, if, if Patrick Baldwin Jr. ends up, you know, slipping, he's definitely a guy I would, I would look at in that 10 to 20 range for sure. It's so interesting because there's a lot of those guys you named who on draft Twitter, they're consistently in top tens, like Mathurin. um, Well, Houston kind of dropped a little bit, or Houston. um, So we'll see. Baldwin's still up there. Kendall Brown is like in some top fives. So I'm assuming we won't be that bad. But you you really don't know because he's not the kind of... I know more non-scorers have been taken lately, like Scotty Barnes and Franz, and it turns out they can score in the NBA. Who would have guessed? But, um, you know, if if those guys are getting snapped up earlier, it sounds like there's still a lot of useful wings and guards uh, who who not only might be available, but might slip, right? Whether it's Patrick Baldwin Jr. or A.J. Griffin or some other guys, or Jovic, who once upon a time, he was like a top 10 lock in a lot of conversations and now you see him in like the mid end of the first. Um, the last guy I wanted to ask you about, uh, who is my newest obsession. What's up with Johnny Davis? Can we talk about Johnny Davis? Yeah, he's good. He's good. Yeah. What's his, is he getting like ESPN love in terms of like, cause he plays in a, on a well-known team for Wisconsin in a big conference and has been handing out work left and right. So and he's I I just just seeing his brand like oh Wisconsin player returning player scoring a lot high profile wins I was like oh this guy must be like twenty three years old and he's not he's like regular sophomore age 
yeah, no, he's, I don't know what, I don't know where he's at, like, um, you know, on ESPN or athletic mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, actually ESPN looks like they have him at 31 right now. Um, I don't know when this was updated, but I, I think that, I think he's kind of a guy that's risen up for sure. He's really, so he started, he actually started for the U19 team, uh, that won the gold medal, medal over mm-hmm. the summer. Exactly. And, you know, he wasn't like, uh, they had so many good players. Like he wasn't like a high usage guy really. Uh, but this year at Wisconsin, he's really taken a leap forward in that standpoint and just shot creation scoring. I think he's a leading scorer in the big 10 uh, averaging about 20 points a game um, on, on pretty good efficiency. Um, you know, he's a good shooter. He doesn't take a, a ton of threes. You'd like to see that kind of uh, tick up mm-hmm. a little bit more um, can get to the rim, you know, doesn't have like elite burst or anything, but, He's got like long strides for like a six five guard. Um, he kind of he kind of like Jabari Smith is like six ten, and he kind of got has long strides. Johnny Davis is kind of the six five version of him. I feel like um, where he kind of just glides to the rim, um, and then he kind of has like decent vertical pop uh, and can dunk on you um, and you know finish around you. You know, just really solid scoring guard. Um, you know, playmaking wise. I don't, he hasn't really shown too many flashes, uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think he's going to be really asked to do that at the next level. I think he's going to be purely kind of a scoring two guard, uh, and he's really good. Yeah, I got some like Chris Duarte type vibes. Yeah, but again, he's so much younger, which is why it kind of blew me away. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on him because I think the Knicks could use a very boring solid do-it-all wing in the Dyson Daniels, Johnny Davis mold. Um, There's definitely spicier players out there like AJ Griffin or any number of guys who I'd be totally happy with. But it's a a pretty big buffet for the Knicks this year, I think. And almost fortunately for the Knicks, I feel like, you know, normally it'd be kind of annoying because we truly don't know if this Knicks team is going to pick in the top 10 or the bottom 10. Who Like, who the hell knows? But... Like you said, after the top maybe five even, it's pretty flat for most of the first round. So I'm sure sub-tiers will start to shape up as the college season goes on and, you know, sample sizes kind of large in, in, get enlarged and statistics stabilize and all of that. But if I'm the Knicks front office, you know, it, the, the Knicks actual season probably isn't going to have that much bearing on the draft scouting because guys can go wherever, which I that's kind of scary, but that's also kind of nice. I feel like. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Johnny Davis because I think he is, you know, in that range or will end up in that range where the Knicks can grab him. And, you know, we've seen from, from their front office the past couple of years, drafting wise, they do kind of like, it seems like they like, um, you know, not you know, older college guys or sophomore plus college guys who put up good numbers in good conferences, you know, IQ, mm-hmm. Deuce, um, you know, Quentin Grimes. So Johnny Davis definitely will fit that mold. And he's, you know, six, five combo guard, which seems like they like drafting. But again, we get, that kind of gets back to have they drafted too many or do they have enough <laughs> already? So um, they might be looking at more kind of, three, four combo wings instead of, uh, you know, two threes. Uh, but I guess time will tell on that. Yeah. And the good thing is, even though we didn't get into them quite as much, there's plenty of those three, four guys as well. So uh, a lot of options to choose. 
Um, cool. Thanks for joining us and helping me give the introduction to this class. Um, I don't know exactly what the pod's 2022 draft analysis is going to look like. I just know it's going to get real nerdy real fast over the holidays. So uh, it's been a pleasure to kick this off with you. And real quick, if you want to just tell the folks again where they can find you and your awesome work. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Draft Film School. Um, and again, uh, you know, I write for you know No Ceilings MBA on Twitter and all social media. That's where you can find us. We're putting out content every single day. Uh, you know, we have a Substack uh, that comes out um, emailed every morning with with some great content. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. Um, and that's uh, pretty much it. Awesome. Thanks again, Alex. And everyone else, thank you for joining us. And we will see you later. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.